0: Well, as we've been uh, reading through the Bible, uh, this week we're going to be ending, at the end of this week, in Ecclesiastes, and so that's why we're looking at it. And Ecclesiastes is uh, different, it's a difficult thing to preach on, and, and sometimes as you read through it, uh, Song of Solomon, uh, Job even, uh, but especially Ecclesiastes, what, one of the problems is is that it doesn't really build thought that like what we're, we, be, we might be used to in sort of a pyramid, you know, building up to a conclusion. It, it does something different. It sort of just gives layers of thought, and they sort of weave in and out. And in order to, if you just took any one thing in and of itself, it would be hard to tell what he's getting at there. But when you see it as it weaves in with some other thoughts, then uh, a picture becomes clear of it. And so that's why we're taking a look at two different passages, in the hopes of maybe being able to see how those things bring clarity to each other and to give us some encouragement as we read through this week to be able to hear what God's having to say to us. Now, Solomon uh, wrote Ecclesiastes, and uh, one of the things about Solomon that he's putting out here in Ecclesiastes is he's verbalizing for us to hear and us to read Uh, about the wisdom that God has given him. Uh, He asked for wisdom. God gave him wisdom. He's known as the wisest person. And and these words are him putting something out there for us to think about so that we can gain some wisdom from it. And, And one of the things he's been talking through the book, one of those layers, is he's just been going through thing after thing after thing that we place value in that he picks it apart and shows there's no value in that. That's actually worthless. The way that we're thinking about this and this and this, the way we're striving after this and this and this, the way we think we're accomplishing this and this, the way that we think this is so important, he says that's all actually just worthless. And here he's starting to get to something that changes the tone because he's finally speaking of some things that aren't worthless, that he says are worth our while. And he starts off chapter 4, and he says something again on that set of worthlessness. He says, I have seen that, verse 4, I have seen that every labor and every skill which is done is the result of rivalry between a man and his neighbor. This too is vanity and striving after the wind. One of the themes he's been talking through is how our labor is worthwhile, but, but the passage that we're looking at today Starts with him saying, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. What he says is that usually our labor is just a result of rivalry or envy that we have with other people. That's what drives us forward in our labor to get ahead of someone else, to push past someone else, to be able to earn more than some, to have security in earning more, to have security in having more, to be able to get to the top of, you know, our job or that type thing. These are the things that motivate. And he says that motivation makes, renders, all our labor and all that we're doing, completely worthless. But he says, when we come together and labor, there's something of value that's found there. That has a good return. Uh, In other words, it's not just thinking in terms of I'm, like, for instance, I'm going to work. I'm going to earn money, and then I'm going to go home, and I'm going to do some other things with that money says you've lost the value. The value isn't in the money that's earned. The value is you've gone to work and there are actual people there. People, living people that are valuable. The people are what's valuable. And it's an opportunity to work with those people. And in our families is maybe we have to go fix a fence or do something in the house, bringing our family members along. That's what makes it valuable. And that's something that we often forget about things. We find value in all the things other than us coming together. Find value in things that have nothing to do with people or we lightly attach it to people. But he says what's valuable is the coming together with other people, finding people that you care about, that you love about, that are that circle of friends and friends, and family that you develop some love for. That's what's valuable. And work is valuable. Labor is valuable insofar as it enables us to be able to do that. Labor is a tool that helps pull us together. If you want to draw close to someone, then labor together. Work together on something. If we need a friend, if we need some... Find some place to go, put some work in, where we can work with someone, where we can develop some relationships. And as we develop these relationships, based on the things that we're doing together, finding something that we can just go out and just work on together, labor on together. That's what's going to bring the closeness that we need. And, and the and he says a good return for our labor. He, sometimes we think. Well, I was going to only make $2, but now since I involve someone else, he's saying I'm going to make $3. That's not the good return that he's talking about. What he says is, for here's the good return for the labor, for if either of them falls, the one will lift up their companion, but woe to the one who falls when there is no one to lift them up. The value of it is, is now not, it's not money, it's not like, oh, I've labored and so now I've saved up this amount and so I find security in that amount. I find security in these investments I've made. I find security in all the toilet paper that I've been hoarding or whatever. You know, we, we find security in these things. And he says, no, that's not it. But when you work and you, that work has brought you close to someone, then you have someone that you're close to, you, you care about. And when the inevitable happens, when catastrophe hits, which it's going to, we're going to fall and we're going to encounter some sort of place of need, the value isn't that you'll have a thing to lean on, that, that value is that you'll have a person to lean on, that there'll be someone who cares about you that'll lift you up. And that's what we need in in life. And that's what's valuable in, in this life is to have people that are lifting us up. And one of the tools for building that kind of relationship is finding some stuff to do together, finding some work together. And then he says, Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? He he is giving an example there of people getting warmth, maybe in a in the cold and snow. I've had that before, uh, backpacking where you know we just had to keep warm. He's just using that as an example. The word that he says in lie down it's a very broad word. In chapter two, he uses it to just basically describe rest, and what he's Saying there's, look, here's what brings us together. Find some work to do together. Some sort of work somewhere. Find work. And then the value of that work isn't what we think it is. It's not that a task is getting done. It's not that something is being earned. It's not that something is being resources being pulled into our power. The value is, the resources, the opportunity is, is the people that we're doing it with. That it builds a relationship. It builds a connection. And the value of that connection is that when the inevitable happens and we need help, there will be someone there to help us. And the other value, he says, furthermore, the value is not just when we need help, but when God brings rest, which... We need rest. We need rest every week. We'll have someone there to rest with. You can rest by yourself, but there's a certain amount of warmth that's gone just resting by yourself. The kind of warmth that we want that comes from people that care about us, people we've been working hard with, people we've been that have been lifting us up, that have built this circle that we have, this family, these friends, Then when we rest, we have someone to laugh with. We have someone to share stories with. We have someone to eat with. We have someone to process things with. Rest isn't just a vacation. Rest isn't just reading a book. Rest is having people that, that care about you that you can rest in. That, that listen to you, that, that understand, that, that care about you, that want to lift you up, that want to labor together with you to, to work towards whatever it is that's happening. And, and then he says, And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. The fourth thing that he brings out is when you labor together, you'll have this relationship. People will lift you up then because they care about you. You guys are in this together. You'll be able to rest with some people that care about you that you can share with, and you'll find security in that. And not security in the amount of money that you have in the bank, which is the only security that that has, is in comparison to someone else. If you feel like you have more than someone else, if you feel like you've, you know, have more seniority or more of this or more of that in this rivalry with other people, there—that's worthless. There's no security found in that. What's—that just breeds more animosity. But the—the the worthwhile thing is found in what brings us together. And the security that comes in knowing that that someone's going to be here with us and, and many people have pointed out that he's been talking about human relationships in pairs in terms of two, two, two and, and he doesn't mean just one person that only pairs of two he he's obviously just referring to one human humans interacting with humans like that, and then when he brings in this third cord idea, a three-strand cord is not easily broken. A lot of people have have noticed that there's, there's, a, there's something being said here. There's something more that he's bringing. He's bringing in something more. And, and what he's bringing in is the idea of God. And what he's bringing in is Jesus, that Jesus has come down. And it's not just us struggling in these relationships. It's not just us laboring. It's not just us lifting each other up. It's not just us finding rest, because we're never going to find rest. It's not just us being able to secure and find security for each other. There isn't That's not going to work. It's a great idea, but it's never going to give what it is that we need. What it is that we need, the strength that makes all of this work, is that Jesus, if Jesus is alive, if he is real, if he is alive, if he is in our life, if God is here and he's involved in things— and intertwining with us in that relationship, then we'll have some labor that's worthwhile, then we'll be able to lift people up because Jesus will be, then we'll be able to sit back and, and find rest. Why? Because we know that our security is in the power of someone who can overcome any situation. And in the light of that intertwining, of God into our lives, of just setting us straight, of just sort of pushing away. And in a lot of senses, this COVID crisis is highlighting some things that just have been completely worthless in our lives that we've been pouring so much time into. And now it's starting to like really hit home, hopefully, some of these things that Solomon is saying, that the real value is the people that we have in our life. And in order to really enjoy the labor, the lifting up, the the rest, the security, we need Jesus intertwined in our life. And in light of that, the main thing that I think Solomon is saying is something that speaks to that, how Jesus, how God, how we can intertwine him, how we can be connected in our lives in those ways, laboring, lifting each other up, resting, finding security. How is it that we connect to that third core, to to Jesus in our life? And, And here's what Solomon has to say in regards to that. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen, rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that what they are doing is evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulse or thought to bring a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort, and the voice of a fool through many words. He says, guard your steps as you go to the house of God. One of the things that we feel as a trouble with this COVID crisis in terms of church, because that's basically what he's saying. If we're talking about Jesus intertwining in life, we're talking about church. And one of the things that I believe God is doing here with this COVID is that he's separated out the church building what church is because the building of the church the actual temple of the church has never been what the meeting place of god has ever been about it's about god meeting us in our heart in our soul and i know that no one likes the zoom and no one likes youtube but one of the great things about it is it just takes away a building which it never should have been about to begin with and it takes away our physical which that's not who we are anyways, who we are physically on the outside and who who we look like, how much we weigh, how tall, how short, whatever it is that you're looking at on the external, that's not who we are, but who we are is still here talking to each other. And that's the part that's important. And that's the part where we're connecting. And as he says, we connect. Don't think about connecting to God. but Most of church, and this is what's so irritating when we think of, of church, and many people are are, are absolutely correct in this evaluation of, of church, that it's really about the sacrifice of fools who don't even know that what they're doing is evil. That's what Solomon's saying about that. Church for Solomon, he, he's noticing there's a problem with, with what's called worship because it's it's so often, it's just about the sacrifice of fools that don't even know that what they're doing is wrong. He says what it's about, if we think about what he's been saying, what are we going to go do and work? How, how, is it just random? Are we going to figure out what we need to do to work? Are we going to be capable of finding out what's good work to go do that will facilitate us? Come? No, Jesus knows what good work is, and so it all hinges on an expectation that Jesus is alive, Jesus is in our life, and by him being God and him being here, he has a better idea of what work we should do. And so it really comes down to not us talking about a bunch of stuff, but listening to what Jesus has to say, expecting him to speak about this, to give us something to do something that we believe isn't coming from the the last part there. I'll just hit that quickly. As we go through this, he says, for the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words that that dream is just dream. And you think, well, what's wrong with the dream? He he says, explains a little bit more in verse seven. He says, for in many dreams and in many words, there's emptiness, rather fear God. So much of the time, church and our life is like us just expanding on all these goals, all these dreams that we have about this and about that. And a lot of just, is just blah, 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 blah. It's emptiness. We're not even really touching on what it is that we're hoping will actually happen. We're just thinking that if this and this and this happens, then what it is that we really want, you know, this closeness. That's not true. It's proved wrong over and over again. He says, quit Worrying about putting together a mission statement, a vision statement, a dream for my life. Just listen to what God God has a dream for you. God has a life for you. God has work for us as a church. And sitting there just spilling out a bunch of words is a meaningless thing. That's not what we should be looking for. And when he says, let your words be few, he's not giving us a new method to approach God like, oh, well, okay, then the right way is I need to somehow think of just the right perfect words so that I can keep it really short and concise because, you know, God's like everyone else on a text message and doesn't like a mile long text. That's not what he's saying there. He's not saying that we have to make it concise. What he's saying is is Jesus has freed us from the burden of the words. We don't have to completely understand it. A lot of our words to God are us just processing ourselves. We can process to other people. We can process to to almost anything. That's not the value. The value is is that Jesus knows what our problem is. Jesus knows what our need is. Jesus knows where our work is, is best had, where we can find rest, where our security is. Jesus knows the things that we're stressed about better than we do. And, And so there's not a power in us communicated in that type of sense. He's just saying, look, it's not about you detailing everything out. That has no value. The value is, is that you've spoken, you've begun to put something out towards God. You've begun to address him. You've begun to to believe that he's here in our lives. And then once that's happened and we've set ourselves to, to believe in however many words or whatever it is that we see, that's the value is setting our tone and our heart towards an expectation that Jesus is there in our life. And at that point, the power is found in Listening because Jesus is going to talk, God is going to speak to us, and so now it's just it really comes down to us listening. Us listening, and for us as a church, He's talking about coming in to worship on Sunday. There's a value to be found for us as a church to find some work to do together, and oftentimes. Work at church is all really comes down to work on Sunday. Work setting up chairs, work getting food ready, work cleaning up, work getting the kids program. And those are all fine. The Bible, when you look through and we read through the the law, I mean, I don't know how much, but a large portion of the law is about the work that's done on the day of rest. So so there's a valid point there. But the labor that he's talking about to say that it just encompasses the labor that's done on a day that's supposed to be about rest is missing the point. Yes, there's some labor that's done on Sunday morning, but the work of the church is done on all the days outside of that. And, And then the work that's done outside should be to such an extent that whatever work is done on Sunday is seen as rest, Sunday is about joining into that rest. And the rest that we find, the security that we find, that lifting up of each other, that direction for the work that we have, it's found in us coming to a place of hearing what God has to say. And that's why we're reading through the Bible right now. That's why we, every Sunday when we gather together, In our hearts, in our souls, whether it's on Zoom, YouTube, or in a church building, it it doesn't matter. It's our souls coming together with God. Our main goal is to hear what he has to say, and that's why we're looking through Ecclesiastes. We look through a passage, and we're praying to God that he will speak to us. And his promises, he will speak to us. And if there's effort on our side... The effort isn't in words. The effort isn't to lay out a a dream. The effort is to just stop, to be quiet, and to just listen and try and hear, pay attention to what God's saying, not through me talking blah, 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 but as the passage is read, as the songs are sung, as someone is like me is saying blah, 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 what is God saying to your heart? Because he doesn't need the words and the songs, but he's using those in a way that frees us from the burden of those words and the burdens of trying to get it. Rid- he's saying something to our hearts. And when you feel that in your heart, and I feel that, other people feel that, that's something that is real that that you can expect to have. It's something that we should crave to have. Once you start feeling as though God's saying something to me here, that's a value. And that's the strength that we have. And so our goal as a church is to find some work together together, Some work that happens throughout the week to lift each other up, to know each other, to care about each other, to be open about the things that we're struggling with, to share, to be ready to lift up, to rest together, to find Sunday as a rest, to find this worship service as a rest, to find rest in what Jesus is saying, to find security there not in how many groceries, not in our job, not in what we have, but to find security in Jesus and in the people that Jesus has brought into our life. And that's all the strength of all of that. And the reason why all of that works is not because of human power. It's not because of the power of everyone coming together. It's not because it takes a village. All of that just results in worthlessness. And the other thing that he weaves through here over and over again, it just results in oppression. The reason why it works, the coming together, is because Jesus is interwoven in there with us. And how is he woven? He's woven because he's telling us things. He's saying, here's some work. He's saying, here's someone who needs some help. You'll have this experience where you'll just know this person needs some help. And, And sometimes you'll just go stand there by them, and God will help them, just as you're standing there. We need Jesus interacting in all these things. We need his strength to make that. We need a miracle in each one of these things every day of our life in order to have what it is that we really want, what we really need, which is to not be alone. Let's pray. Jesus, we just ask that you'll be with us here in our hearts right now, that each person that's listening. And any person who's watched a just sense in our heart that you're speaking to help us hear that and to believe you and to set out this next week on Facebook. Yes?